What's up, everybody? Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the mini soda edition, or as somebody suggested I call it, the Pop Symposium, which seems like it's giving me a lot of credit, um, but I'll go with it. It's the best suggestion I've gotten so far. So, welcome to the mini-sode. Again, I'm playing around with these little mini-episodes, these off-week episodes where we're not posting a full Pop Pantheon episode, but I like to use them to answer some questions, and maybe I'm going to do them uh, once a month. I'm not totally sure what I'm doing yet. I'm playing around. We're being playful with the format here. I like being able to communicate with everybody on the weeks where I'm not publishing a full episode, and I get a lot of questions from you guys all the time on email and Instagram, etc. So this feels like a good format for me to answer them. And that's what we've been using them for so far. I could see them being other things too. So we'll see how it evolves. I'm just rolling with the punches here. So make sure you send me all your questions to poppantheonpod at gmail.com. And that's how I'll see them. You could DM them to me too. Whatever works, poppantheonpod on Instagram. But yeah. So, as usual, if you're enjoying Pop Pantheon, please spread the word however you can. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Post about it on Instagram. Post about it on Twitter. I really appreciate everybody helping me get the word out there. So, oh, and follow, obviously, me on Twitter and Instagram, DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V and Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. Or if you're desperate, our erstwhile Twitter feed, which, like, as you know, is like, I can't deal. So let's get into some of the questions you guys asked. I got a lot of Charlie questions this week and then a few others as well. I'm so glad everybody liked that Charlie episode. Pretty good, right? Okay, so let's get into some of these questions. All right, first question about Charlie comes from Mac, who sent me an email asking... Oh, Mac is also the person that suggested the pop symposium. <laughs> Thank you, Mac. That was a good idea. Um, when will Charlie finally be a chart topper? I know the last few years she's been in a hyper pop hole, but she's been around for almost a decade. And this is a dovetailing with a question that Tom on Instagram asked me, which is why do you think Charlie hasn't had another mainstream smash since boom clap fancy or I love it? Uh, the answer to your question is I don't think Charlie is going to be a quote unquote chart topper. I hope that's not a disappointing answer for the angels out there, but you know, I, I, there's very few exceptions to artists I can think about. I mean, here, there's many ways I want things I want to say about this. There's very few artists I can think about who, if you are not instantaneously or like within the first few, let's say, years of your career, you're not, you know, breaking through as a chart topper, um, who can sort of then get there, you know, a decade into their career. I mean, we know Charlie's had her hits in the past. They are now, you know, seven, eight years ago. I don't think Charlie is going to like have a turnaround and all of a sudden, you know, at age 30 with such a pre-established brand turn into, you know, the Olivia Rodrigo. I, I just, that's not really where, that's not how this works. I mean, the only, the one exception I want to throw out there is of course you have Sia who had a kind of a completely like non pop star career and then converted into a pop songwriter and then pop star in her own right at age 40. That was a freakish anomaly. This th These things just don't really happen. I mean, I guess I could see a sort of interesting phenomenon where Charlie 
did some sort of collaboration, a dance collaboration with a DJ, or I don't know what it would be that became like an anomalous hit, but I don't really see the future of Charlie's career being at the top of the Billboard Hot 100. Now, I don't think that that's an, a problem at all. I think Charlie has, as uh, either Charlie or Nate, I forget who pointed out in the episode, I don't think Charlie... I think Charlie has kind of the best pop career that one could ask for. She's completely respected. She's kind of free to do whatever she wants. She's got a huge cult following that will follow her down any of her strange rabbit holes. She doesn't have the pressure of sort of the celebrity narrative being entwined with the music and pop star output. I mean, if it was me, I'd want Charlie's career more than I'd want Taylor Swift's career. And I think Charlie also has too much of a penchant for the avant-garde to really do what would need to be done to be a chart topper if that was even feasible for her at this point. I just, I don't think that she, she may wish that the music that she made now was bigger, but I don't see her doing what I would feel like she would need to do to even like whiff at having hits. And I wouldn't, we don't, I don't think we, any of us would want her to do that. Anybody who's a fan of hers, you know, like, Good Ones or a song like that is probably, like, the closest Charlie's going to come to making, like, a mainstream-style pop single. But Good Ones still is, like, I don't know. I, I, I still see it as somewhat, like, on the edge or fringes of, like, what would become a radio hit. Not to mention that, like, as we talk about ad nauseum on this show, pure pop in the style that Charlie makes just isn't that popular at the moment. Like, Olivia Rodrigo notwithstanding. Like, you've got to be somewhat hip-hop adjacent like a little Nas X or even Billie Eilish who you know is like subtly in communication with that you know Charlie does have I'm not saying Charlie isn't conversant with hip-hop on some of her music but again it's for all the reasons I said I don't think Charlie is going to magically start having number one songs I I don't see that for her and I don't think that we want that for her and I don't think she even wants that for herself necessarily so I that's my answer to the question and whether or not she is satisfied with sort of being in the sort of more influential and less culturally saturating realm of pop is really only something I can speculate about and something she only knows the answer to. But for me personally, I'm happy with Charlie being in that position. I think many of my favorite pop artists are not necessarily the most popular in a mainstream sense. And I think it's wonderful to see artists like Charlie be able to thrive in a cult setting and have the respect of everybody in the industry and of people in the know and have a wide audience, but not have the pressures of being a, you know, million first week selling artist. Cause also that's a pretty short lived career for anybody as we all know. All right. So next question is Elizabeth who asked on email, Hey, DJ Louie, really enjoyed today's episode. As always, thank you, Elizabeth. Curious what your thoughts are on the new Charlie XCX song that dropped this morning with Carolyn Polachek and Christine from uh, Christine and the Queens. What is her real name? It's like hell. I forget. Her name's not actually Christine, but I get what you're saying. And whether it skews more towards the hyper pop from her last few mixtapes or towards the straightforward sound of good ones. All day, we could fall in love in new shapes. No shapes And when the morning comes I'm sorry I stay Till you honestly I can't change Can't change What you want I ain't got it 
To my ears, it maybe splits the difference between the genres somewhat. Would love to hear whether or how this affects your thoughts on her future trajectory or whether she's moving into a new Sonic era from the end of the episode. Cheers, Elizabeth. Interesting question. I don't get hyperpop from New Shapes. I get a serious sort of like Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, industrial funk vibe like Janet Jackson. So I like songs that came to mind, at least production wise from New Shapes to me were like the pleasure principle, for instance. So it seems like, and Good Ones also has like a big sort of sweet dreams are made of these 80s synth pop influence as well. So I definitely feel like this album is nodding at the 80s in various ways. That's my biggest like through line I can draw between Good Ones and New Shapes. I don't think they're draw. I don't think those songs are drawing on the same aspects of 80s popular music, but I think that they're each dabbling in popular aesthetics from that decade. So that is the only sort of like, now that we have two data points that I can put together about what this record might sound like now. I did watch uh, Charlie on TikTok the other day playing clips of uh, a bunch of her new songs. And A.G. Cook, who has been her primary collaborator from her quote-unquote hyperpop era, produced many of the songs on Number One Angel, Pop 2, Charlie, How I'm Feeling Now, etc., is still playing a major role in producing this new record. So I don't know if A.G. Cook is planning uh, or if A.G. Cook and Charlie have made, you know, songs that sound like the ones from this last era or if they're playing together in a new sandbox or somewhere splitting the difference. My general vibe on this record is that it's going to sound at least somewhat different than the aesthetic of the last four or so projects, five projects, if you include the Vroom Vroom EP. So that's my inclination. I obviously have no insider information on that, but there seems to be a more overt 80s homage going on, and I think she's trying to make music that is slightly more accessible and less challenging than some of the more extreme examples of her hyperpop era. That would be my inclination. Again, I have no insider info on that, but that's just my vibe. Ruth on Instagram asks, why do you think Charlie was chosen for the Reputation Tour even though her music is so different from Taylor's? Well, I think that Taylor is nothing if not an astute brand manager of Taylor Swift Incorporated. And I think especially during the Reputation era, which is Taylor's most sort of overt dalliance with the overarching aesthetics of mainstream pop as they were in 2017, was looking to infuse some cool into her brand. I mean, that was kind of the entire purpose of Reputation, arguable whether she succeeded in that. And I will caveat here that Reputation is one of my very favorite Taylor Swift albums. But in terms of the album's general reception i'm not positive that that worked for people like i'm not sure that that was what people were really like wishing for from taylor swift but in terms of why she brought charlie on the tour i think it's pretty obvious that she wanted as many mainstream pop girls have and we've we talked on the episode about selena gomez doing this by hiring her as a writer and camila cabello and sean mendes hiring her to write senorita etc you know charlie is a interesting tool and I hate to objectify her in this way for more centrist, you know, less 
esoteric experimental pop stars to like infuse some edge into their brand and i have a feeling that that was the purpose of charlie of uh, taylor inviting charlie on her tour and of course charlie is constantly in this push and pull between her like mainstream inclinations and her cult inclinations and i'm sure that her decision to join that tour was for the opportunity to play for taylor's you know 50 to 80,000 fans a night and I will say, you know, as I mentioned on the on the episode, I did go to the tour and I found Charlie's presence there a little confounding and sad because she it felt like she was quite neutered in that regard. And I know that she spoke out about that at one point, but it was weird watching her not be able to perform any of like her more exciting material because she was playing for an audience that was completely unfamiliar with like what Charlie actually does, like what her real strengths are and what is exciting about her music. So she was really like stuck singing fancy and I kind of sensed that she wasn't thrilled about any of that. So it was, I guess it was a bit of a weird pairing, but it's not uncommon for a mainstream pop star to use like an edgier, smaller artist to bring some danger or some coolness factor to their, you know, pop extravaganza tour. So that would be why I think she brought her on the tour. And I guess jury's out on how successful that was for either of them. Okay. Tom asks, dream Charlie collab. Okay. I have two answers to this pet. Uh, projects of mine. One is Britney. I really feel strongly that if Britney is to return to making music, a pretty smart collaborator for Britney would be Charlie. I know we've talked about this in the Discord, but I feel that there's a number of Charlie tracks, including the one that stands out the most to me being Girls Night Out, that would be absolutely fantastic. Britney singles. And they both dabble in sort of the uh, synthetic possibilities of popular music. And I just think Charlie has a lot of respect for Britney. I think Charlie learned a lot from watching Britney. I think there's a lot of potential there for an exciting collaboration. I think Charlie would smartly play along the edges of like Britney's in the most intelligent way in, uh, uh, with Britney's sort of like, uh, robust, roboticism or her, her, the mechanical aesthetics that Britney often dabbles in on especially her later period work which has made for some very exciting music as we all know and i also would love to see britney collaborating with more women you know it's like there's so much of a narrative around britney and this sort of svengali men that have or have been perceived to like overlord her over her career and personal life obviously but also in a, her professional life you know she's so often associated with max martin she's so often associated with pharrell she's so often associated with danger and all the people that have helped her create some of her best music. And I think it'd be exciting to see Britney collaborate with like a very respected female pop songwriter and performer. And I think Charlie would be a just dream collaboration. The other is for Charlie as an artist. I know Charlie is an extremely devout follower of Max Martin's. I've heard her, I can't remember where it was, but I heard her talk about how much she studied the concept of melodic math. And just as a fan of, as we know, Charlie's such a huge fan of pop in general. 
And if you're a fan of pop, you obviously study the master. So I'm waiting for the Max Martin produced Charlie song or album. I feel like they would be very exciting. I think Max Martin um, in his latter career has made his best work with artists that are like, give him some edge. You know, he never really worked with like quote unquote edgy artists really during like most of his peak periods. But his work with The Weeknd has kind of proved that like pairing Max Martin with a like pre-established sort of edgier, more dangerous feeling pop star is like a very fruitful collaboration to sort of like bring his like glistening pure pop aesthetic to like something that has a little bit more grit to it or a little bit more of a defined and edgy pre-existing personality has really worked for him. And I think that could really be true for Charlie as well. And Charlie did work, as I mentioned on the podcast with Oscar Holter on Good Ones. And Oscar Holter is a Max Martin disciple who produced, co-produced Blinding Lights with him and co-produced, I think, the more recent Weekend single with him and is definitely in the Max Martin universe. So I was really holding out hope when the credits of this new album came out that Max would be on there. As far as I can tell, he's not, but I'm sure there's maybe, maybe she's waiting to announce that. I don't know. I just think that they would work. They'd be a very exciting collaboration. And I know they probably really have a lot of respect for one another. So I would love that personally. All right, moving on from Charlie questions. Michael asks, what artist with a seemingly promising career failed to meet your expectations besides Katie? Okay, I need to like clarify something for folks here. First of all, Katie met my expectations and exceeded them. Like Katie had a very successful run of hits and albums. Like I didn't see Katie being as big as she was when I first uncovered the erstwhile you're so gay. So... Katie met and exceeded my expectations. So I quibble with your premise here a little bit, Michael. Um, but artists that failed to meet my expectations. I mean, the one that like really jumps to mind, frankly, and I know this is like going to be maybe an obvious answer to people is Tanache. I just was so sold on the notion of Tanache kind of like being a premier sort of like crossover R&B pop artist. And I'm very impressed with where Tinashe's music has gone. I think she's a really freaking talented and frankly, like suitable artist to be like a bedroom niche artist. Like she's the type of a musician that can like make music by herself in her room. And I think trying to actually steering away from trying to be a mainstream pop star has really like helped elevate her music. Uh, but I de on that first Tanache record, I was caught out here telling mad people that Tanache was going to be like a humongous superstar. And, you know, she hasn't become that, but she has become something else great. So I'm not dissing Tanache. I love Tanache. And uh, I really recommend that you go listen to her recent two albums. I think they're both really great records. So Jen on Instagram asks, what's going on with Haley Steinfeld's career? I honestly don't have the answer to this question. I can't say that I've followed it close enough to know, but love yourself or love myself. Still a banger for the ages. And also the Zed one was good too. So I don't have an answer to that question. Maybe I'll dig into that further on the Haley Steinfeld Pop Pantheon episode. Shout out to whoever agrees to do that with me. Andrew asks, not a question, but I can't stop thinking about White Iverson sounding like jeweling. <laughs> Listen, Larry is just filled with quotables. I mean, the kid is a genius. So me too. I couldn't stop thinking about that. I couldn't stop thinking of him describing him as like a noxious vapor. Like he really 
is a very smart writer and thinker and user of words. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it either. Jen asks, more about your story. How'd you get into DJing? I don't know if people are really interested in me per se, but maybe I'll give it a whirl. I got into DJing because I was a fucking like maniacally obsessed with music, like in a like kind of unhealthy way. <laughs> like I was in college studying history for whatever fucking reason. And my mother actually suggested it to me. She was like, listen, you know, I, I had tried to like do some interning in the music industry and I just like really didn't, I see, I saw, always saw myself as more of an artist and didn't really want to like get into like the corporate side of things and be like looking through the looking glass at other, at artists and feeling like maybe I should be, I don't know. Like that was a big conflict for me about like being an A&R person or something like that. And my mom actually said, why don't you try DJing? And I just usually listen to what she tells me because I have a strong, very opinionated and usually right Jewish mother. So I just enrolled myself in college. This is now 15 years ago in like a class at Scratch DJ Academy and really dedicated myself to it and got really good really fast. And I always had the real like working knowledge of music and uh, what I wanted like to play and what I wanted it all to sound like. And I just worked really hard at it. And then my teacher there, like I just saw my dedication and helped me land my first kind of few gigs in New York. And uh, I then started a party with a friend of mine that became like somewhat successful. And that sort of on Saturday nights, it moved to various venues. But anyway, that sort of like launched the whole thing. And before you know it, you're 34 years old and this has been the only career. <laughs> You've known, besides podcasting, podcasting and DJing, you can imagine how proud my grandparents are of me. So last question comes from Mac. Again, oh, Mac again. Mac on Instagram, Mac on Mac. You've got a lot of questions. Can groups be read as a pop star, especially if there's no real solo careers like the Spice Girls, Cascada, et cetera? I think absolutely yes. And I, I plan to do a lot of episodes on groups. In fact, I believe the next episode you hear will be on a group and I'm not going to reveal which one, but I definitely want to do a Spice Girls episode that's high on my list. I think Spice Girls, not only are they like so in integral to my appreciation of music and were one of my first favorite like acts I stand, obviously, but I also feel like they made so much music that's held up so incredibly well. Like, my God, like the music was really, really there with the Spice Girls, like in some ways more than some of any other of these sort of like boy and girl groups. I mean, that's debatable, but the Spice Girls made some great music. So let's go out on one of my absolute favorite Spice Girls songs, which I actually played at every single of the three <laughs> weekly shows just to make sure that nobody forgot it. Um, Who Do You Think You Are? Which like is one of the great disco homages, like random access memories could never or, like make a disco homage this incredible like this literally could have been as you for so that's that hope this was fun hope people are enjoying this let me know if you are i don't know if this is fun if we're gonna keep doing these videos so let me know how you think about them send me your questions to pop pantheon pod at gmail.com or uh dm them to me or post uh respond to the stickers i post asking amas and i'll see you guys next week for a main episode adios I said I hope. Oh,